What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Anant Rangaswamy all the way from Mumbai, India. He's a watcher of advertising and marketing. And today we are going to discuss creativity and who's responsible for its disappearance. I'm joking. It won't be that extreme, but we'll, we'll push there. Anant, welcome. Hello and good to be talking to you. Just to situate you before we dive into the topic, you described yourself to me as a watcher of advertising and marketing. How did you come to be this? Long story. I started as a salesman. I, I was selling airtime when uh, Murdoch launched uh, Star TV in India. Then I continued to sell airtime when uh, Sony started in India. Then I joined India's largest uh, publication, Times of India, to sell space there. Then I joined advertising. I joined TBWA in the late 90s. And uh, one thing led to another. And I loved writing, so I started writing about advertising. So I launched a campaign magazine in India. Did that for four or five years. And then I switched to television. So I ran a show on CNBC in India for about four or five years. And now uh, doing our own show, which runs on a channel called Wyon. And what we're doing today, hopefully, is an audio version of that show. Hmm. I, I hope so, just with uh, a strong Australian accent. Yeah. <laughs> Could you tell me about your approach to watching advertising? I mean, obviously, having launched a campaign, you've got long ties with England, and sometimes the English media can be quite snarky and, and critical in a way that I don't think I see much of in the US, where I do feel that the, generally speaking, the watches of, of advertising and marketing in the US are a little bit more PR friendly. It's not to say that they're without opinions at all, but they do seem to copy and paste a lot of, a lot of PR from agencies. How did you think of your role as a watcher of advertising and marketing? More, more towards the English description that you gave rather than the American. More opinion, more analysis, less snark, and no puff pieces. You know, no puff pieces at all. So I think it's a, a sort of responsibility for somebody in every vertical. You could be talking about advertising, you could be talking about the chemical industry or the petroleum industry. I think you need somebody who watches and uh, not somebody, you need a lot of people who watch and uh, comment on what's happening, you know, good or bad. I, that's what I try to do. I try to call out the irresponsible rather than the bad because in advertising, we have a lot of bad. The bad is not worth writing about, but it's the irresponsible that I comment on and the brilliant that I comment on. So these are the two areas that interest me. Mm. Let's let's talk about your time at campaign. Can you think of articles that you're very proud of, either writing or publishing? Uh, well, I can tell you something that happened after, just almost immediately after I left campaign, when uh, BBH launched in India. When they launched, I did write that this is a model that won't work in India, and uh, well, it didn't, and it took a long time for a few sentences to be proven true or false. So I, I think that that was uh, based on watching India, you know. They launched in India with the three-legged stool model, you know, a planner, a creative, and a servicing person. And uh, my view was in India, you needed one god, you know, because that was the structure in India. You need one person more powerful than all the others, you know, uh, first among equals, if you could call it that. And that's uh, something I enjoyed writing tremendously, only because uh, I think it 
uh, almost was a ratification that I understood the market well. It was more for myself than anything else. Mm. Talk to me a little bit more about the one God thought. Well, we still uh, sort of learn from perhaps the UK or the or the US, both more mature markets in advertising, where, you know, like lawyers, a lot of ad agencies in the 60s and 70s had the partners' names on the door. And, you know, so say BBH was largely the H part of it, you know, the Hegarty. Uh, Wyden and Kennedy was Wyden, and so on. In India, we don't see much of that, but we have seen the creative directors being celebrated and being almost cult figures in terms of their following. So we have a Piyush Pandey, we've had a Balki, who was uh, you know, heading low for ages. We're still a uh, business surrounded by and controlled by the creative director, which is a good thing in my view, uh, which will lead to today's conversation somewhere. So these are creative directors who've sort of helped uh, brands communicate for decades. I think it's it's a healthy thing. I, th- I mean, I, I come from the view that all agencies should be headed by creative people. And, and are you saying that one, the one God idea is built into all of Indian culture? Obviously, it's a big country, but is, is that a... V- it, it is, mostly. Even the newer agencies that we've seen launch in, say, the last decade, have been agencies which have been launched by creative strong people, not the business strong people. They're the only people who can carry brands with them, uh, win new businesses easily and so on. So yes, it, it is a fairly pan-Indian thing. Okay, and because uh, I always wondered if that, that it was because there was a crossover between Indian creative leaders and coming from very, very established families, plus often a connection to the film industry there. Are those two theories erroneous? Yes, absolutely erroneous. Hmm. In fact, the celebrated creative directors in India come from very small towns, and very humble beginnings, so they have no power connection at all. Hmm. Uh, no uh, dynastic power connection. So you take a Piyush Pandey, you take a Prasun Joshi, you take a Balki, you take a Josie Paul, these are all people who have won at every single award show in the world. So hopefully listeners will be able to Google their names and find out. They've all won at Cannes, they've won everything. And Bollywood has very little influence in the advertising business, except the big stars make a lot of money by appearing as actors and brand ambassadors, but otherwise they have no influence over the business of advertising. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just remember meeting a few people or hearing stories of, you know, a particular person running an agency and then their cousin was running some other agency and then someone else in the family was running, you know, film studio. And I, I, I know at least one or two people who fit that mold, but I, I didn't know if it was a, a general situation. So it's, it's good to hear that it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. Okay. So you're currently watching creativity ebbing and flowing. And what we're now going to get into is, well, like from what I understand, you believe that creativity isn't what it used to be. Is that correct? Uh, Yes and no. See, I think the first uh, reality is that we have a lot more brands, we have a lot more media, and we have a lot more advertising. You know, so what tends to hit us in the face is the average or the bad advertising. So good advertising, I think there is a shortage of, and simply because there are not enough talented people to create enough good advertising. I don't think there's a problem in creativity in isolation. You see it in pockets. I don't think there's an Indian problem, by the way. I think it's a global problem. Mm. You know, I I think if I uh, try and uh, compare it to, say, the Super Bowl, which 
is appointment viewing for me. I think uh, every year has been less exciting than the previous year. And that's not because I'm growing old, because I think uh, a lot of marketers are not gambling. And I think they need to. And uh, I think it's true of India as well. Also comes with the territory of uh, a difficult market. You know, we've got low growth across the world, including the US, Europe, India. And I think low growth uh, prevents uh, marketers from taking decisions which are edgy or which have got a huge upside if they work, you know, and mm-hmm. we, we see both. We see both at the simultaneously. We see terrible advertising and, you know, advertising which just does a hard sell. And uh, I think the delta for advertising, which is exciting and touches the consumer, is much, much greater. It, it's interesting to hear you say that low growth can prevent a gamble and edge because I know you know I interviewed someone uh, Shan Biglioni who worked in China and he said sort of the opposite in that things were or have been or were growing so quickly in China that people didn't really need to do super creative work because it was growing anyway no absolutely I think it is when you have what one can call a sea of sameness that's when creativity can cut through clutter you know there are 10 soaps on the table what soap do I buy and all the soaps are priced at a dollar. Uh, it boils down to, I think, the soap which tells me, come and buy me, and tells me in a more entertaining way. And therefore, the, the, I think the bigger the business problem, the more the need for creativity. So I would say in a recession, in fact, you might cut your advertising costs, but you need better creative to carry you through that. Mm-hmm. So you interview a lot of senior marketers, CMOs, yes, I do. people from yep. around the world. Why don't you think they're gambling other than we're in a time of low growth. No, I, I, there are some uh, who gamble. You were in uh, Bombay earlier this year when you met for Machado. Mm-hmm. I think Machado at Burger King is a spectacular gambler, you know. But I think he is not gambling like the nutcase who goes to Vegas. He's gambling with the, after calculating the odds, you know. He's not taking blind punts. But uh, he's certainly doing some wonderful work with a lot of agency partners, by the way. And uh, I think it gives them an upside. We are seeing that in India as well. We are seeing those who invest in creativity, you know, getting a sort of share of mind which is be- or share of attention, you know, which is greater than the competitors who are not gambling. So uh, I think gambling is a must and you can, you can see that, you know, you stare at your television or your, your mobile phone and you can say, hey, this is an interesting marketer because if there are 10 car ads at the same time, this is an ad which is making me look at it, you know, and we're seeing that in India currently, we've seen a Korean brand called Kia. They, they, you know, they said nothing about their car in their ad and just made you watch the ad. And I don't think that worked. And uh, it showed in the bookings in the, you know, two months post-launch. So I think there is an enormous upside to investing in good creative. Mm. If you think, through the faces of senior marketers you've interviewed this year, if I forced you to psychoanalyze them, what is different about the people who are willing to gamble? Uh, I think two, two things. One is the commitment to the company they work for. I think that's very important. And the confidence uh, that their management has in their ability to uh, judge good creative or bad creative or creative that delivers on the objective set out. And uh, I, I can see that commonness. So... You know, I go into a company and I see a marketer who's been there, say, five, six, seven years, and he's got promoted twice in those five, six, seven years. That marketer, he or she, makes better decisions. 
And there, there's no two ways about that. Because I think you need a long-termism in this job as well, so that you can succeed and fail. See, like in any other job function, you should be able to allow it to fail. You make a mistake, that's fine. But if your hit rate is 7 out of 10, you know, I think a company should back that. Mm. So I think that is a common uh, thread in the DNA of the marketers who, who take edgy decisions. And then with the marketers that you speak to, do they bemoan a decrease in creativity? Is it something they are aware of, think about, care about? You know, this is an ecosystem and we need good creative people. We also need good marketers. So I think, you know, a lot of communication is a great partnership between marketer and creative. You know, you, you look at, like I told you, Machado, you know, a great buyer of good creative. In India, I could take, of, say, Harit Nagpal, who's now with Tata Sky, who was earlier with Vodafone. You know, he bought great creative at Vodafone, he bought great creative at Tata Sky, both. So I, I think the onus is on both. It's not, it doesn't work with just a creative or just a marketer. I think it's, a, you know, it's like a jazz uh, evening at New Orleans or something, you know, where mm. you, go, you pick up a guitar and somebody else picks up a, you know, a sax and the music starts playing. I think it's more like that. And, and what about when you speak to agency leaders, specifically in Bombay? Are they, are they frustrated right now or is it just keep your head down, try to make it work? No, I think there's frustration on both sides. But fundamentally, I think for the agency, it'll depend on the client they're dealing with. For the clients, it'll depend on the agency they deal with. You know, there is a problem which is caused by, shall we say, short-term relationships as well. If you're permanently afraid that you might lose an account, I think that prevents uh, agency business heads from resourcing the account as well as they could have, whether by way of people or money or whatever. And I think you can feel, I can honestly almost smell that an agency is going to lose a certain account because I see the agency energy drop on that account. And the reverse, you know, I can tell you that, uh, you know, this client is going to sack this agency because I can see the fall in energy. Mm. I think it's a, it's a complicated thing and, and it doesn't help that we are in this hyper-competitive world. There are more pitches than ever before. You know, the average uh, duration of a, of a relationship is coming, you know, shrinking by leaps and bounds. It's, it's difficult. So, yes, there, there is uh, insecurity on both sides of the fence, not just with the agency. Right. And when you say you can sense a fall of energy, is that when you walk around the agencies or just what they're putting out into public? No. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I told you is uh, I like to, I'm a watcher and a listener. I, I go to agencies nonstop. You know, I, I visit them. I have a drink with somebody. I have a coffee with somebody else. I have dinner with somebody else. So I do uh, spend a lot of time talking to people in, on both sides, on the agency side and on the brand side, to try and get a sense of what they're going through and what might happen and so on. Which agencies have high energy for you? Who's doing a good job consistently uh, right now? From India or uh, yeah. are you talking globally? From India, I think, uh, I mean, by leaps and bounds, Ogilvy you know, does a fantastic job. They win new clients and they don't lose their old clients and that's fantastic for business. Uh, you've got a digital agency called Web Chutney, which in fact was uh, the most successful Indian agency at Cannes this year. They won, I think, 11 medals at Cannes. Hmm. So they're doing exciting work. And um, otherwise, you get pockets of, of good work. We're not seeing a lot of good work. I mean, last year has not been great for work. And it showed at Cannes. India didn't do too well at Cannes. You know, it's a difficult economy and the brand manager and marketer both are struggling. So... So you've got Ogilvy, you've got JWT, which is doing steady work. Uh, you've got Law, which does 
you know, a bit, bit spiky, up and down. You've got publicists, which again does spiky work, you know, two good ads and three terrible ads. But, you know, it's okay. BBD was doing solid, steady stuff. Mm-hmm. Are there regional styles for advertising agencies, you know, around India? Obviously, it's such a huge place, but are there different cities that tend to do certain things differently to other cities? Tragically, uh, it's not. You know, it's uh, pre-1980, India was a funnily an English advertising country. You know, most of the, I mean, the, the first uh, big agencies in India were uh, English companies. So you had JWT and you had Ogilvy and so on and so forth. And then, thanks to changes in the environment in India, we got color television into the country for the first time in the early 80s. Suddenly, because the reach increased, India became a Hindi communication country. And uh, it stayed Hindi from then till now. So there's not enough attention being paid by marketers to, you know, various other parts of India. You know, the four southern states are knocked off. Nobody's bothered about them uh, from a communication perspective. So I do think, when I say nobody, that's an exaggeration. But not enough attention is being paid to them. So largely we're seeing one style, we're seeing the Hindi, the northern heartland style. That's what we're seeing. Mm, what's that? Well, uh, it's uh, insight, insights which are based on on uh, research that you conduct in the largest market, which is the Gangetic Plain, which goes from, say, all the way from Delhi to uh, Kolkata. And uh, it also covers the most populous states of the country. So Uttar Pradesh will come in that belt. So you say, if we can create communication, it's like a you know, highest common factor, lowest common multiple kind of thing. You create a communication that works in UP, it'll work anywhere. So that's what's kind of ruling right now. And what kind of themes is the industry talking about most right now? I see different themes pop up and, you know, obviously London is pretty intellectually ferocious and a lot of talk about short-termism versus long-termism and a lot of the recent marketing sciences, management consultancies, etc. What are the big themes that you're watching and that other people are watching with you? Sure. I think the short-termism versus long-termism is a constant theme and a constant debate. Uh, and I think that gets compounded by the duration of the or the security level of the brand manager or the marketing director or whatever. That's one. The second one is uh, adoption or investment in digital and mobile. Now for your American uh, listeners, that's mobile. Uh, English is mobile. So I think that's another constant debate. How much do you spend? Uh, because on the one hand, you can measure almost anything on digital. On the other hand, we still have the debate on whether brands can be built on digital, whether digital can be used for anything other than performance marketing. So the jury is out there and there are endless discussions. So if I say the biggest two themes are, one is short-termism versus long-termism. One is uh, how much you invest in digital and mobile. Mm-hmm. And of course, gender diversity. I mean, that's, that's like taking over. It's, it's complicated because we came late to the party and... And there's a lot of catch-up being played, both at marketers and at agencies. Mm-hmm. What is that conversation and what's happening? Uh, I think one is the realization that uh, in India, we have much greater problems in gender diversity than we thought. You know, it was just brushed under the carpet or it wasn't even thought of as a problem. So I think the biggest one is not so much uh, harassment. I think the biggest one is going to be uh, gender pay disparity. I think that's coming to the fore and there are lots of conversations about that. 
and uh, you have a, a body of uh, women who started a sort of loose body called the collective which is trying to uh, generate more conversations and distill all the issues that they might have into you know uh, one or two big issues which they need to solve and i think at the top of the pile will be uh, gender pay disparity so let, let's go back to the original topic around sure. who's to blame for the fall in creativity and advertising? Is it the agency or the marketer? I think it's a bit of both. You know, I think the agency has been guilty of not plowing back enough money into the product. You know, it's a problem that Procter & Gamble announced and spoke about in the US about two years ago. You know, when you, you make $100, for God's sake, put 70 of the dollars back into into creative talent. And, uh, you know, that hasn't happened uh, abroad. It's certainly not happened in India. So uh, too much of the advertising agency's revenue goes into admin and support and profits. And I think that's a big problem. So it's a problem that agencies created for themselves, not uh, investing enough money in talent and therefore under-resourcing uh, accounts which needed more resources. So that's one. Just, just on that, I did see, yeah. I won't mention the person, and I will get this number wrong, but not that wrong. I saw someone do a talk to a group of independent agencies, and they broke down the amount of money that was going to admin support and executive salaries. And I'm not picking a fight with anyone here, but in this particular large group, I think it was around, I'm going to say 60%. And it could have been even more, which to say that that money's not going to people doing the actual work. Does that split seem plausible? Have you seen any numbers on it? I think it's absolutely plausible. It might even be more. Mm. So that that is worrying. I think uh, I, if I were a marketer, I I would yell if uh, that's the kind of resourcing that came to my account. Mm. So so it is a problem, and it's a historic problem. So the way to correct that is to almost break down your building and build a new one. If you're a large agency, if you're a medium-sized agency, perhaps it's easier because it's more likely that the creative started that agency in the first place. Mm. But but it's when you say, I want to sell my agency, and then you build a you know new set of walls around it. And then you say, if I want to sell, then I, I need to become something worth buying, which means I need to get a CFO into place and then pay him a... Uh, some money, then I need to get a whole lot of systems and compliances into place, all of which cost money. And then before you know it, the amount of money left for creative is 30-40%. So just uh, let's pause on this for a second and then we'll go into the other thoughts that you had on this. You know, I, I heard an interview with a gentleman who wrote Bullshit Jobs talking right. about academia and the bloating of administrative roles and administrative, I don't know, technology in academia. And he basically put it down to people in power wanting to have more administrative support and more administrative people than other people. And right. in academia, there's this switch to kind of part-time and adjunct professor roles. Professors aren't getting paid that much. And yet around the world, these colleges own huge portions of major cities. You know, in New York, a large percentage of that city is owned by a handful of colleges. It seems kind of crazy. What do you think is going on in the advertising world that needs all this administrative support and, and all these people? The quick answer is, I, I think most of it is bullshit as well. You know, I would say if you walk into an agency and sack 50% of the non-creative people, the agency would function just as well. You push it a little more and then make it 70, I think the 
agency will, will do just as well with the creative product. So I, I struggle to understand what all these people are doing sometimes. And then, uh, you know, uh, you've got uh, a kind of inertia which takes over. You know, this person's a nice person, you know. He or she, you know, how can you sack them? They've been here 10 years and they're part of the furniture and they're lovely and so on and so forth. And I, I, I think it hurts the youngsters very badly. I think the youngsters getting into the business. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they spend a month and, you know, I'm sure they're wondering what the hell is this person doing here? I mean, I've, I see him every day and I know what he does. You know, because you thought, and I think correctly, that you'd be creating something. I mean, that's why you joined advertising in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I do think all the admin, and this is not to attack humans at all, but admin in the broader sense, which is people and systems, it, it can add a lot of sloth, a lot of laziness into the system. And it's, it's funny, it's sort of this weird version of materialism where you think you get to have a senior role at a certain age and that comes with all this administrative support. And I got to tell you, just doing, and I'm sure you find this when you're doing interviews as well, often, not always, when an admin gets thrown into the mix to do an interview or for a meeting, I know it's going to take way like way too much of my time. It's going to be back and forth. The meetings are going to shift. Often there's a, and this is not everyone. It's like, it's, it's at least half the people that when they've got an admin, they're like, yeah, just change that. I want to change dates. I've got a new meeting coming up and all of a sudden getting bounced around and I tend to opt out of that kind of interaction. But I think it introduces a form of, uh, or a lack of empathy, a form of narcissism and some kind of sloth through self-importance. <laughs> what do you think of all that? No, I, no, I, I agree completely. I, I'll turn back the clock to... Uh, what, 20 odd years ago, when I joined the Times of India, and that was India's largest newspaper. And uh, my boss called me and said, you need to understand something about this building. So I said, what is it? He said, the business of the building is to put out content every day. So I said, okay, I know that. So he says, no, what's important for you to know is you don't have to take lip from anyone, from any other department except editorial. Don't take lip from accounts, don't take lip from admin and so on and so forth. So they are supports to the business. They're supposed to make your life easier. That's what they're supposed to do. You know, I'll give you an amazing coincidence. Tomorrow morning, I'm conducting a meeting at, uh, not a meeting, an interview at a large multinational. So if I navigate through Copcom, which is another form of admin to my mind in many companies, and I'm not holding that back, but I think they really are. If I go through Copcom, they will ask me to shoot in some boring conference room. If I navigate it through the person I'm interviewing and say, look, this is the spot in your building that I want to interview, he'll fix it. Hmm. You know, I, th I do think it is about power. I, I'm not going to be as kind as you, but I think a lot of these, uh, you know, they're gatekeepers and you don't know why they exist sometimes. I mean, I mean, you came to melt. I promise you at Curious, we do away with useless admin. It's all flat and for God's sake, somebody who needs something, help out. Anybody can help out. Mm -hmm. You don't need to have a specialist to get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or you know, get a cab to send Mark Pollard to a hotel, for God's sake. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's nice when it happens though. Okay, so let's, let's get back to the topic. So falling creativity, sure. one of the reasons uh, we talked about not wanting to gamble earlier, but w the second reason, I guess, is this uh, lack of reinvestment in creative talent. What's another reason for falling creativity? An another reason is the insecurity caused by procurement and by audit and an another set of administrators that I don't have a great amount of fun for, I mean, fun with or respect for, 
You see, if I'm insecure as a supplier, first of all, you call me a vendor that, you give me a vendor code, you know, that makes a problem. And, you know, you call me earlier, you know, 15 years ago, you called me partner, now you're calling me vendor. You know, it's a big fall. And just imagine I've got a contract which runs out February 2020 with you. Yeah. And then I'm kept on tenterhooks. You know, I asked, you know, what do you think? You think it's going to be okay? And he says, we'll have to wait, you know. What happens to me from August 2019? Do I, do I put resources into it? You know, should I? Is it worth it for me, from the agency point of view, to resource this account which I might lose in six months? You know, I, I think I, I'll give you a wonderful illustration. Uh, there was uh, Ogilvy and ITC, one of India's largest uh, FMCG companies and uh, cigarette companies. There was a, they launched a new campaign. And uh, at the press conference, a reporter asked uh, Piyush Pandey, who was the global chief creative officer of uh, Ogilvy, who was present at the press conference, and they created the communication. This was Sablon. And a reporter asked Piyush, what was the brief? And he said there was no brief because ITC owns my shower time. So this girl asked, what does that mean? He said, I don't need a brief from ITC. You know, I know what they're going through. I know what their challenges are. And, well, I can create communication without a brief. I can say this, you know, I know this is a, a challenge you have for the, such and such a brand and this is an idea I've had for this brand. And if there's a Piyush Pandey who says ITC owns a shower time, you've got the entire team working on ITC, which, you know, uh, having ITC owning the shower time. I think that's very important. When you're insecure, the shower time does not belong to the client. That's the point. Then I will work like a lawyer and say 9.15 to 9.27, I will work on ITC. That's what will happen and then you get crap creative, yeah. Mm. Yeah, vendors are a funny red flag. I get a little, it causes a bit of a stutter in me if someone uses the V word at me. And uh, yeah. I'm like, what you, what'd you just call me? <laughs> Don't be so rude. And, no, they, and they soften it sometimes. They say vendor partner. Yeah, which is even worse, I think, when they say when the partner. It's, yeah. not, it's not English. Okay, next reason. Next reason that we're seeing this fall in creativity. I, I think that's, uh, let, let me jump from here to, to Dave Trott. Did you meet Dave when you were in Bombay? I did. Okay, so Dave and I were having this conversation some years ago in Goa. And he was telling me one of the reasons for the fall in creativity is that creative directors have got too rich. So I, I said, what is the connection? And then he took me on a wonderful journey. He told me, see, the creative directors used to live within and in the community of the people they wrote ads for. So it was pop it, the ideas came from popular culture, became communication, and went back into popular culture. And that was a magical cycle that he sort of explained to me. Hmm. And he says, when the creative directors have become too rich, they are living far away, both in distance and in, in lifestyle, from the audiences they're creating the communication for. You know, and that was a fantastic learning. I started thinking about creative directors and their lifestyles after that. So I look at, you know, at John Hegarty and see what, what's the lifestyle he leads. And I look at a Dan Wyden and look at the lifestyle he leads. Look at a Piyush Pandey. They lead very simple lifestyles. And they live close to the people they're creating communication for. I think that's very important. I think that has got lost somewhere. Mm. You know, and, and I think maybe that's why I say 
TBWA does well with Apple. Because, uh, you know, Chia Day and Lee Cloud lived with the people they were creating the communication for. That's important. I don't think you could have got great Apple communication out of TBWA London. I think you needed to be close to Cupertino to, to create that magic. Hmm. I haven't heard that one before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruminate on that because I'm nervous that there's a little bit of nostalgia in it, but also it's an interesting theory. No, I, you know, I, I, it's not, uh, you know, while Dave said creative directors have become too rich, you know, I've sort of decoded it. If they become too rich and they lose their connection with the people they write the communication for, yeah, then yeah. they're in trouble. So I add that layer. You know, he, he gave me another lovely example, which is so easy to connect to. It's uh, the Beatles. He said the Beatles lived in Liverpool and they wrote songs which came from their lives. Mm. So if they wrote uh, Lovely Rita, Meet a Maid, it's because somebody knew a Meet a Maid there, either Lennon or McCartney or somebody. And then they wrote songs to them. They didn't write songs to sell songs. They wrote songs to people they knew mm. and about people they knew. And I think they're no different from, I mean, I think great positions are no different from great uh, advertising professionals, creative directors. They're the same. Or great songwriters. Interesting. That one's going to stick with me for a while. I like that one. Because you hear the word bubble a lot, right? But it's like, well, everyone's in bubble. Every single yes. person in the world is in a bubble. And in London, yes. there's a London bubble. But the idea that people got too rich, too isolated is just sharper, a sharper way of saying bubble. But I get, I get that. Well, another reason. How many, how many more reasons can we get? I, I can do some. I think uh, overmeasurement is another one. No. Yep. Earlier, uh, and there's again nostalgia. So again, you're going to sort of punish me for my age, but uh, earlier, you know, you, you know, good advertising was spoken about in society. And uh, this is true certainly of the UK and India, hmm. where you went out for dinner and somebody said, hey, did you watch this commercial? I saw a lovely commercial for Lux or whatever it was. And uh, your metrics came from, you know, reactions that you got from various people around you. Of course, you had the important metrics, which were, you know, post you checked whether your, your top of mind went up and you went checked whether your sales objectives were met and so on. But a very important part of the metrics was what society, society said about your communication. And today we've reduced it to some you know, views on YouTube which you don't even know whether people have watched. I think there's a focus on the wrong metrics and there's a tremendous amount of overmeasurement. Mm. And uh, I think that, that's a problem. I, I think measurement should be... Uh, sort of a far more sophisticated than it is. I think all leave it out and, you know, keep it simple as it was. You know, that's, I think we're in between. It's not sophisticated enough to be correct and not simple enough to not pressurize a creative director. I don't think, I don't think a great writer can write a book if he's going to think of how many copies it's going to sell at the time it's going to write the book. But he will think of what will my core reader think about this you know, will so-and-so who I bumped into at the airport who said he loved my book, will he love the, this book as well? And so on. I think we are over-metricizing everything, you know, if you're going to analyze every damn thing before you create. I mean, in an exaggeration, I don't think you'd ever have seen the Mona Lisa if the guy's going to, you know, get judged by a focus group and then, you know, they're going to say, no, her nose is too big or her hair is too dark. Mm. Well, that... Yeah, I guess the over metricization, a big part of that is the game of proving that 
people are missing out on something that they need a solution for, which ironically is kind of what advertising does. No, but you know, I, I think that there was a simplicity. You know, you you break a campaign and the sales figures go up. That's easy to correlate, you know. But then if you start going through this peer pressure of saying, you know, Samsung did this film which has got 5 million views and our film needs to be 5 million views. Mm. I think the objective is, I mean, the goalpost is changing. You're saying, I want views. You're not saying, I want to create stories that can be remembered. I think that's important, you know. Mm. You look at, you know, what I really, really love is uh, uh, the UK is almost schizophrenic in its advertising. It's, it's almost flat in average advertising through the year. But come October, when the Christmas ads hit the television, it is stunning advertising. Every single year, it is stunning. And, you know, I, I sit like a moron in front of my computer trying to figure out whether Marks and Spencers or, you know, whatever have released their new Christmas campaign. And uh, I'm sure this is something that, you know, uh, one campaign where uh, marketers say, okay, I'll give you rope, create something memorable. They don't say create something which will, you know, give me views. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you, you can see the same during the Super Bowl. You can see some ads where clearly the marketer said, I don't care about the sales. I want to be remembered. I want everybody to talk about my ad tomorrow. Forget about the sales. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think uh, you're not you when you're hungry, for example, the Snickers campaign. You know, it, it just makes you laugh. And then I, I'm not sure I went out and bought a Snickers that day, but I'm sure I, I remember the ad. And maybe I bought a Snickers 10 days later or whatever. You know, I mean, brands need to be built as well. And... Like I said, overmeasurement is a nightmare. It is. It is. It's difficult to to deal with. All right. So we've got the fall in creativity is due to marketers not placing big bets, agencies not putting enough money back into creative talent, insecurity caused by procurement, being treated like a vendor, not having a sense of stability and long-term relationship with clients at times. We've got the idea from Dave Trott that creative directors got too rich, and then we have over-measurements. I'll give you one more. Yes. It is uh, treating the world as one marketer. I think that's a problem. Oh, yes. Talk uh, to me. I love this uh, one. Talk yeah, to me. It is absolute nonsense. I mean, India, you know, you go to Calcutta, there are certain reasons to buy a biscuit. You go to Chennai in the south, there are other reasons to buy a biscuit. And yet a marketer will want a biscuit commercial that will work in New York, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, you know, Nairobi, Abu Dhabi. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I don't get it. You know, you've got, you see, I, th- I think people have got this wrong. If uh, I think the ratio of the creative to the total amount spent on a campaign, in which case you add the creative cost as well as the media cost, mm-hmm. you know, the media cost is 95% or more of the campaign. So for God's sake, if you've got to make two commercials for two markets, make two commercials. And I think we're coming full circle. Uh, I think uh, at least the larger advertisers like a Procter & Gamble or a Unilever uh, do not run regional campaigns anymore. They run with a regional insight, but the, the ads are made in different markets with different cast, different crew, perhaps slightly changed uh, taglines. And yeah, that's working. But a lot of it is just, you know, some, some ad created somewhere and shoved through in 20 markets. And that certainly causes, uh, shall we say, a, a loss of morale of the creative director. Mm. You know, he, he's sitting in Bombay and he wants to do, 
say a great job for Absolute and Absolute tells me, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to create it in New York and send it to you. Well, okay. Mm. Then I don't care about anything else Absolute does. If you took, it, took away the big ad, I'm not going to work on your below the line. I'm not work, going to work on your digital. I don't care because your brand doesn't give me energy. So this kind of thing happens. I'm giving you Apple as an illustration. Yeah, uh, it's, not, it's not fact there, yeah. It's, it's one of those riddles. I know some of the well-known global holding company leaders were trying to sell marketers on this uh, more efficient way to work. And we, we'd inherit work in Australia, but we were kind of cheeky enough and small enough, kind of cute, I think, because we weren't that big, where people would be like, you know what, let's just, let's just do whatever we want. And sometimes you would get a representative of the company from Germany or Japan sitting in a meeting, people would let them have their say, they'd leave, and they were like, yeah, let's just get back to business as usual. But here's the thing, why should regional insights be a thing if regional campaigns no, and execution aren't I, necessarily a thing? No, I don't think regional insights, I think we've got to come down to markets. So I, I, I don't, by the way, I, I think regional offices are going to become less and less relevant and less and less powerful. I think it's going to be head office and then country offices. I think the in-betweens will kind of disappear. Anyway, to go back to what you were saying, you see, let's take... Uh, a wonderful campaign done in Australia, uh, which won everywhere, which was Dumb Ways to Die. Do you remember that campaign? Yeah. It, I just left McCann and that campaign came out after a reverse takeover. Yes. Yeah. So Bombay has got a problem worse than all of Australia in terms of people dying on the railway track. An average of six to seven people die every day on the railway tracks. Now, you know, one would think if this was such great creative, you could just pick it up and slap it in Bombay and it'll work. It won't. Mm. It won't because it had a tone, it had a feel, it had colors, which were brilliant for certain markets and they will not resonate in India. Mm. You know, I, I love the campaign on site when I first saw it. I think I was in campaign, must be 2008, nine, something like that. And, uh, you know, I, I would say, I wish somebody came up with a campaign like that in Bombay. It's needed, it's important, but... Ideas may travel, the tone, the colors, the language, the music, these don't travel as well. Let me, let me end with this one question. Sure. What makes you hopeful for creativity in this industry? I think storytelling is older, as old as history, for God's sake, you know, let's face it. All the trouble we're going through also is thanks to storytelling, you know. We've got all our religions which were captured in wonderful prose and we live with that, all of us. But I, I, no, I think there will always be a need for brands to communicate with consumers. They, you will always need storytellers to tell that story. You know, that's impossible to stop. And uh, I, the more complex the market, the more you need for storytelling. I think that is as simple as that. And the better the storytelling, the better the impact as far as the brand is concerned. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a great believer in storytelling. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, get excited about digital and they look at that, the sort of tech side of digital as opposed to the opportunities in digital. You know, I don't know whether you've read John Hegarty's second book, Hegarty on Creativity. There's a lovely line there which says, technology is the handmaiden of creativity. It's a spectacular line. I, you know, I, I, I have it embedded in my head. 
So the storyteller will always be required whatever happens in the future in changes of medium. You know, mobile will evolve, it'll become something else and God knows what will happen in 20 years. But you will always need a storyteller and he will or she will use all the tech available to get the story to more people, to expand, to, you know, to uh, excite, all that will be. But the kernel will be a story. The essence will be an idea, a great idea. And for that, we need the storytellers. Mm. Awesome. I love it. And so out of all the things that you're creating and publishing right now, where's the best place for people to find it? Uh, ready to melt, www.readytomelt.com. That's, that's it. One source. Okay, beautiful. And where are you personally most active on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, at Anand Sangaswamy. That's my full name. Uh, A-N-A-N-T-R-A-N-G-A-S-W-A-M-I. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anand. I really appreciate it. May you continue to enjoy watching this industry. If anything, it's just going to get more interesting. Absolutely. We live in interesting times. We'll continue to live in interesting times. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mark. And hopefully see you back in Bombay soon. Yeah, would love to. Thank you, Anand. Take care. Peace. Cheers.